I think the other day I was um, talking to you about chameleons, how they change colour with the environment. Well, uh, a few weeks ago I was Christina Hugo taking the service in her place, and today I'm Howard taking the service in his place. I'm sorry I couldn't grow a beard um, uh, this morning. It just wasn't enough, um, you know, fertiliser to put on there um, to kind of uh, play the part. But um, here I am, and I would have been at Tikiponga, uh, but uh, Howard asked me to come down here. Uh, so we're carrying on our series in uh, the book of Revelation, and I want to just begin by telling you um, something that happened in our small group, in our connect group, a couple of Wednesdays ago. Uh, a member of our group, who isn't a Christian yet, um, asked this question at 8.43. We finish at 8.45, right? So he asked this question at 8.43. The question was, Lorne, would you have preferred to have lived in the time of Jesus and been with him there than living here and now? At two minutes, right, to answer that question. <laughs> anyway, I, I wondered what was behind that question. And I thought about it a bit, and I thought perhaps it was a curiosity about how exciting it must have been to have been with Jesus. I mean... To hear him teach his parables, to hear him teach um, the Sermon on the Mount firsthand, uh, to, to witness him um, dealing with injustice. Imagine being there when he dealt with the woman who was caught in adultery and you were right there. Imagine that you were there when a little boy brought his lunch to him and he fed 5,000 people with it. Or imagine what it would have been like if he had, if you'd been on that boat with him and he just said, be still, and the storm just flattened out like that. Imagine if you had been at that pool of Bethesda uh, where that man had been crippled for 38 years and he just said, get up, and he got up and he walked. Or imagine if you'd been by the grave of Lazarus, who had been in the tomb for four days. And he said, just pull the stone away. Lazarus, come out. That must have been pretty exciting. And the one that I love, I was doing a wedding last week. Imagine going to a wedding and um, the water runs out and uh, Jesus turns it into Screaming Eagle Cabernet, 1992. <laughs> Well, Screaming Eagle Cabernet, 1992, six magnums of that sold for half a million dollars in 2008. That is the very best wine. But the other thing about being with Jesus, imagine how uncomfortable and dangerous it would have been. You know, he was vilified by his brothers and his sister. Um, he was betrayed um, by his friends. He was harassed by the religious police. He was tried. He was crucified. And his followers deserted him. And then what's more, after he had risen from the dead and ascended into heaven, his followers started to do what Jesus did themselves in the power of the Holy Spirit. And they found that life wasn't too comfortable. But how could they then go out and preach the gospel? How could they then go out and see the dead being raised? How could they go out and seeing the sick being healed? 
because they were given a mandate. They emulated what Jesus did. And the reason why they do it is because they were given some keys. I feel like a jailer when I walk in here sometimes. There are so many rooms to lock and unlock. But the disciples were given the keys of the kingdom. That's what I want to talk about today. But before I do, I want you to turn to your neighbor and ask them this question. You've only got two minutes, and you've got to give an answer. Would you have preferred to have been with Jesus at the time like him, or would you prefer to be who you are, living where you are now? Just turn to your neighbor and talk about that for two minutes, and then... That's one minute gone. How are you doing? I hope you've had time to swap over. Okay, two minutes. Two minutes. Okay, that's roughly two minutes. Okay, so I'm going to tell you what my answer was. I don't know what answer. Hand up those if you said here you would love to have been back with Jesus in those days. Put your hand up if you would like to have been there. Look, there are a few hands going up. Put up your hands if you prefer to just be where you are right now. You're just quite happy in your skin. Yeah, okay, all right. Yeah, how many of you don't know? How many of you didn't know? All right, Shane, yeah. These are the people who can't make up their minds. Okay, all right. So when the elections come round, you're a, you're a last-minute swing voter, aren't you? So this was my answer, and I want you to rate me. I said, well, I am with Jesus now because he's risen from the dead, and he's with me today with the Holy Spirit. And what's more, if I'd been back there where, with him in those days, as he was a human, I wouldn't have met and married Sue. Was it? Okay, I guess I scored quite well on that one. Anyway, I think the point that I want to come to today is that being on mission with Jesus was extremely exciting, and it should be today. You see, when we are on mission when we are in mission mode and we understand that we're on mission the moment that we wake up, we are on the forefront of what the Spirit is doing in the world. And where you are, where the Spirit is moving, that is the place to be. We are to bloom where we're planted. We are to be Christians on mission Every single day. You see, there should be opportunities open for us each day as we open ourselves up to the leading of the Holy Spirit, just as Jesus did. 
And today, we're looking at the Church of Philadelphia in our Revelation series. And this is a church that I would love to, for us to be like. A church that's faithful to the mission. A church that was getting on with the job of making disciples. A mandate that Jesus left his church and he gave them the equipment to do it, the keys of the kingdom. You see, as one preacher said, we are to be fishers of men, not keepers of an aquarium. That's what we're supposed to be. On two occasions in the church to Philadelphia, Jesus, first of all, described himself in verse 7 as he who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. And then he goes on to say to the church, he says this, I've placed before you an open door that no one can shut. This is the door of opportunity for evangelism. And I know as soon as you hear that word, you think, oh no, I don't like that word. I call it spirit-led evangelism. And that is the fruit, it should be the fruit of a disciple who's following Jesus every day. You see, every time we hear of a door opening in the New Testament, it's to do with mission. For example, in Acts 14.27, it says, Paul reported back to the church at Antioch after he'd been on his first missionary tour, and he said this, God had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. So this church at Philadelphia was um, saying, Jesus was saying to them, I have set before you an open door that no one can shut. Philadelphia was a very new city in Asia. In fact, Philadelphia was founded in 140 BC. And the reason why it was founded was simply because it was on a routeway to the east and to Asia. It was a town right on the edge of a plain and a routeway was going through there into Asia. In fact, it bordered three countries. And so it was known as a gateway town. And in fact, the Greeks, what the Greeks wanted to do was to export their culture to the east. And then there was this massive earthquake in AD 17. And the whole town was leveled flat. But Tiberius, the Roman emperor, thought it was such a strategic town that he, at his own expense, he rebuilt the city. And it became a door of opportunity because after he built it, who should come through but Paul and Lydia? You remember Lydia, the trader in Philippi who was converted by Paul who lived in Lydda? They took the gospel to this town of Philadelphia. And the, I guess, in, in Jesus' mind was, here's an open door, guys, for you to go on mission out to the east, but also to win people for the Lord in your town because that town was very Jewish and very Roman, as you'll see in a minute. So he was saying to the church there, I've put before you an open door. No one can shut this door. But there was an obstacle. What was the obstacle? 
Here's the obstacle in verse 9. Those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. You see, there, there was a very large Jewish community who, when they heard the gospel, when Paul came and preached in their town, they rejected that Jesus had risen from the dead, and they rejected him as the Messiah. And they called Paul and the Christians sons of Satan. And Jesus is turning it round and he's saying, no, 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 Christians, the Jews are the sons of Satan. I'm going to make sure that they come and fall at your feet and realize that I love you Christians. He's saying to them, there are going to be some conversions in this city. He says, I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews, but they are not, they are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I love you. That's what he was saying. Imagine a Jew being called from the synagogue of Satan. But you see, when Jesus was on the planet in his skin, they actually said to Jesus, they said, um, you cast out demons by Beelzebub. They said to him, you cast out demons because you've got a demon in you. That's what the Jews said to Jesus. And he's turning it around here. But the question I want to ask today, how would the Christians be victorious in this task of winning people for Christ? How are they going to overcome the obstacle of this Jewish community? How would they go through this door of opportunity? Jesus talks about keys, the keys of David. These are the words of him who is holy and true. He who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. So what are the keys for? What are keys for? Keys are for unlocking doors and locking doors. And this image comes from the Old Testament in Isaiah 22, when a man called um, Elakim is given the keys by David of the palace. His steward is given the keys, and only Elakim can open the doors to every room in the palace and close them and lock them. Not even David. He's given the keys to Elakim, his servant. This is so powerful, because... When you've got the keys, you can open doors, you can close them. No one can enter, no people can go through. And so Jesus, when he declares to Peter, he says to Peter, who do you say I am? He said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. And what's more, I'm going to give you the keys of David. In other words, Peter symbolizes the church. He symbolizes you and me. We have the keys. Can you just say that to one another? We have the keys. We've got the keys. We have them. Do you know that at one point in the Gospels, I'm digressing here, but this this thought came to me. When Jesus sent out the 72 disciples, they said, They came back rejoicing and saying, even the demons submit to us in your name. And it says, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit because those disciples were so excited. And I want to say this, when you're on mission, it is so exciting. 
when you're on mission, if, if, if your Christian life is, oh, blow, blow, I'm get up today, say my prayers, da-da-da-da, be a good person, you're not on mission. You're in maintenance mode. But when you wake up and you say, Holy Spirit, I'm yours today, lead me, bring opportunities, you've given me the keys of the kingdom. That is exciting. So the other day on Friday, I had to go for a blood test. My doc sent me down there. I went for an annual WAF, Warrant of Fitness. You know, when you have to get to 65, you've really got to have a WAF. And uh, he sent me off for a blood, uh, no, I was going to say transfusion. It's not a transfusion, is it, Christina? No, sorry. It's a, it's a little kind of test, you know. And everything came back really grand. In fact, Sue's very jealous of my cholesterol level, but I won't tell you about that. Um, anyway... I was in there, and I prayed that day, Lord, it's my day off. I didn't really want to go and do that on my day off, but I went and did it. And um, the girl said to me, what job do you do? And I said, I'm a pastor in a Presbyterian church. And she said, what's Presbyterian? So I said, that's a very good question. Anyway, what ensued was a conversation about Jesus. And as I was going, she tapped me on the shoulder and she said, thank you so much. I needed to hear that today. You see, we are ambassadors for Christ. When you become a Christian, you are given the keys of the kingdom. And we're going to talk about what those keys are in the minute. You are an ambassador. You are a representative of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We all are. And Jesus said to his ambassador, he says, all authority in earth and heaven has been given to me. Now go now with the keys and make disciples of all people. Teach them everything I've taught you. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what I want you to do. And it says, and the Lord was with them as they went about their work. This is partly what we're born again for. We're not only just born again to have a relationship with Jesus, which is the most wonderful gift. We are born again so that we can become his missionaries. So you'll see a little sign as you walk out of the door of the church there. What does it say? you are entering the mission field. As soon as we walk out of the door of the church, we're entering the mission field. F.B. Meyer, a famous Baptist pastor in England, put it this way. It is urgently needful that the Christian people of our charge should become to understand that they are not a company of invalids to be wheeled about, to be fed by hand, cosseted, nursed, and comforted, the minister being a sort of physician and a nurse, but rather we are a garrison in an enemy country and every soul of which should have some post of duty at which he should be prepared to make any sacrifice rather than quit it. So I want to suggest to you um, some very simple keys. Um, the, the, the key is to know that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the key. You, you, those are the keys we've been given. But there's a simple strategy, and I call it Prayer, care, and share. Can you say that? Prayer, care, and share. So here's the strategy. Prayer. You know, prayer, first of all, 
is the one non-negotiable of the Christian life. To be a Christian is to pray. Prayer is like breath. If we don't breathe, we die. If we don't pray as Christians, we will shrivel up and die. Because when we pray, we're communicating and receiving. In fact, we should be receiving more than what we talk or give. And I would encourage you every day to ask the Lord to fill you with his Holy Spirit and lead you where you should go and to whom you should speak to. Be attentive during the day to his promptings and his leadings. Pray that someone you might come across today you can influence for Christ. Maybe when you bump into someone by chance, maybe God has placed that person right there for you to minister to that day. But make a list of your friends who don't know Christ and pray for them every single day. You know, we do this Thy Kingdom Come thing in uh, coming up to Pentecost. We make a list of five people and pray for them that they'll come to know the Lord. Well, I heard of a guy called um, D.L. Moody, who you probably heard of him. He made a list of 100 people and he prayed for them every day throughout his life. And at the day of his funeral, 96 of them had come to know the Lord. And at his funeral, the last four people who were there gave his li their lives to Christ. What a man. What a mission. He had this sense of being on mission. And Paul said this, Pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. So the first thing is to pray. Pray every day. Pray for the Lord to put on your heart because you're a missionary. You're in enemy territory. Pray that he would lead you to somewhere where you can witness for Christ. And secondly, care. When we become Christians, we are filled with God's love. And we are to love people with the love of God. You know, Christ cared so much for humanity that he left home, the comfort of heaven, to come down to be on earth here to save us. That's how much he cared for us. Now, I've got a friend um, who I've known for four years now, and he reminds me, this is what he says, if you Bible bash me, I'll run a mile. This is what he says to me. He's more interested in a genuine relationship and friendship than for me to have him as a scalp. You, you know what I mean by that, don't you? Okay. In my own heart and mind as an evangelist, I need to absolutely agree with that and accept that because that's not the reason why we win people for the Lord, just to put a notch on the belt. It's because God loves them. And so I have to ask the Lord to help me to show love to my friend. And I was really encouraged one day recently when the Holy Spirit said to me, Lorne, don't despise the day of small beginnings with your friend. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. In other words, I felt he was saying to me, this is, you're in it for the long haul. It's not an overnight conversion. I also think, and I hope Ray and Charlotte won't mind here, but I think of Ray who's sitting over there who we baptized on April the 4th. Ray, it's great to see you today. And I think of Charlotte 
sitting over here. Ray came to Christ because Charlotte loved him enough to care for him when he was really sick. And then one day she said to him, why don't you come to church? And this is what he's told me. He said, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Ray. But he said, um, let me just find it. Oh, it's all right here. They're not such a bad lot. And then he gave his life to Christ when he heard the gospel. He came up here and he gave his life to Christ because someone had cared for him. <laughs> you know, thank you, Charlotte. That's it. That's what it's all about. It's about praying, praying for people's salvation, praying for our doors to open. It's about caring for people, sticking with them, being a friend. Charles Spurgeon was once asked by a guy who said, um, he came up to him at the end of the service and said, what can I do to win others for Christ? And Spurgeon said, what are you? What do you do? The man said, I'm an engine driver, to which Spurgeon said, is your fireman a Christian? The man said, I really don't know. Spurgeon said, then go back and find out and then start on him. We are to bloom where we're planted. We are to bloom where we're planted. We don't have to go to Africa to be missionaries. We're missionaries like the Church of Philadelphia as soon as we walk out of the door of this place. So prayer, care, and the final one is share. Someone once said, and you've heard me say this before, Christians can be like Arctic rivers, frozen at the mouth. You know, we, we're good at praying and we're good at caring for people, but when it comes to open our mouth to tell people about Jesus, we're a little bit frightened about that. But Paul says this, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because the power of God unto salvation. It's one of the keys of the kingdom that Jesus has given us. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not going to be ashamed of opening my mouth and testifying about Jesus. And I'm going to ask Abby to come up now. Um, Abby, and I'd love you to share your testimony. We had a baptism service um, two weeks ago, and for those of you that didn't come, most of the people in the congregation were quite tearful during the testimonies, and Abby's just um, made a profession of faith for Christ. Um, she's had friends that have walked with her, prayed with her, cared for her. I'm not going to tell you her story. She's going to, come on up, Abby, come on up. And she's going to share with you her testimony. She was baptized um, two Sundays ago. So, come on, Abby, it's all yours. Prior to becoming a follower of Christ... Misery and hopelessness plagued and threatened to envelop me. Depression and anxiety were my constant companions. I was a slave to negativity and cynicism. To fill the deep, insatiable void in my life, I became anorexic. Then a few years later, after suffering immense mental turmoil, I attempted suicide. However, something which I now attest to be God's voice, halted me in my track and consequently saved my life. Thus, I began my search for my ultimate purpose. I thought it might be environmentalism, humanitarianism, 
all so important, but then I found it. Almighty God, creator and nurturer of all this glory, the epitome of love and grace, justice and perfection. Jesus Christ the Lord knocked on my door through the prayers of many faithful friends, and thankfully I answered. Since my official proclamation of Christianity, my faith in the Son of God, our Redeemer, has only continued to strengthen with the power of the Holy Spirit. Recently, I encountered the Holy Spirit's presence, and oh my, if I didn't know before, I, I knew then, oh, I sure knew then, as I do now, that not only does God certainly exist, but he loves me so much, and he is with me always. Praise the Lord, ever faithful and good. Amen. Thank you, Abby. It's so wonderful when people come to Jesus, because that's what he died for. And it's so much joy. The service we had the other night was so joyful, so spirit-filled to see people going down to that water and coming up again because of what Christ had done for them. You see, our testimony, what Abby's just demonstrated for now, is one of our keys. Every one of us has a story to tell, and the story doesn't have to be just how you came to Christ. It could be how Christ is working in your life now. You just share that with others and they will wonder what on earth you're talking about sometimes. But it's a key. Another great key we have is the actual gospel itself, the good news of Jesus. That God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Sue and I have a great friend um, he died this week. His name was Johnny. Um, he had cancer. He was very, very sick for a few months. Some of you would have been praying for him because we put it on the internet. But he was totally against anything to do with faith. He said to me, "Don't. I've got my own beliefs. Don't preach at me. But I felt to persevere on WhatsApp with him. And um, I, I think the last WhatsApp I sent him before he died, I shared John 3.16 with him because he was perishing. I, he died, and I, to be honest, we don't know if he ever gave his life to Christ. We don't know, but this side of eternity we don't know, but we'll find out one day. And I've got another friend who's also said to me, Lorne, please don't share your faith with me. I don't want to lose our friendship. And my reply to him, and I think what his Holy Spirit led is, because you're my friend, I will keep sharing the love of Jesus with you. So he said, okay. So we're still having coffees together. <laughs> Another simple key that you have, and this is why we're trying to do this at Hope Wangare, is we're having these gospel and healing services to encourage you when your friends are sick or your neighbors are sick, go across and say, can I pray for you? So many times in the Gospels, people were healed by Jesus and then they came to faith. 
I want to encourage you to lay hands on the sick and have confidence that you've got the keys. You've got the Holy Spirit living in you. It doesn't have to be a long prayer. It can simply be flu go in Jesus' name. And that's why we want to train the church to lay hands on the sick because it's one of the keys of the kingdom. And finally, um, the Alpha Course, which is one of, the, one of the gateways we have in our church, is a very, very good tool to bring friends to because it gives people time to hear the gospel, to meet the church, to meet you and me, and to give them time to make a decision. And I want to encourage you next year when we hold an Alpha Dinner that we see that hall absolutely full of people. Bring a friend. If you've got five, ten people you're praying for, reach out to them at that time and say, would you like to come with me to this Alpha course? So if you're doing mainly music, you're doing um, Girls Brigade or Icons, you might have parents who are there who are starting to get interested in the gospel. Let's go to the Alpha dinner. Alpha is a really non-threatening way uh, for unbelievers and seekers to discover the truths of Christianity. And they can reject it if they want, but at least they've been told. And so I want to conclude by saying this. We have, like the Church of Philadelphia, we've been given the keys of the kingdom. The authority and power that the Holy Spirit releases into our lives. We, like the Church of Philadelphia, have been given an open door in this city to evangelize and to win people for Christ. We've been given an open door because we've got the keys. And thirdly, we are called like the church of Philadelphia to keep his word, to not deny his name, and to patiently endure our discipleship walk, praying for people, caring for people, sharing with people so that they will come to fall down at the feet of Jesus like Abby has done and say, thank you, God, for saving me. So let's just do it. Let's do it. Let's be like the church at Philadelphia, the ones who overcame, the ones who were weak. They were weak because there were so few of them in such a large city but they didn't deny the name of God and God had given them an open door. And I want to encourage you, friends, that all of us be involved in mission. Just bloom where you're planted, in your street, in your home, where you go to work. Because God gave his son for this purpose. He gave his son for you and me. Amen? Amen. Thank you.